0: Hey, Phil has the pleasure of being uh, the church partnership development person for Pioneer Bible Translators. I always get a little tongue twisted with that because there's two Pioneer organizations and we actually are connected with both of them. Uh, Phil is with Pioneer Bible Translators and he served for 16 years in South Africa on the mission field, he and his wife, and then uh, returned home and was for 10 years was the missions pastor at his sending church. And then has spent the last, uh, since 2018, so what's that, six years? If my math is right, six years in this position with Pioneer Bible Translators. Um, Phil is married, as I, I think I said, his wife Roxanne, and they have three lovely young boys, not young, two of them are married, and they have three grandkids. <laughs> so that's why they're not quite so young. Um, yeah, and Phil's heart and passion is to mobilize the church, to love on those who are getting ready to go, to equip them to go out into the mission field, and to share his heart with us. So, Phil, give, join me in giving Phil Smith a warm Southern Oregon welcome.
1: Thank you, Kelly. Appreciate it, brother. I was rooting and hollering for the grandkid part. We're just new to the grand um, child realm, and we love it. Welcome, Trill. Um, what a joy to be here with you. I've actually heard about your church for the last five years. As being a training coach with Pioneer Bible Translators part-time, I've had the privilege to walk the path with from your congregation as they were preparing to go to Nile, Africa. And I just thank you for the partnership of this church with them and Pioneer Bible and what God's doing to get the Word of God and make disciples and plant churches in that part of the world. But as I walk that path with... um, them for four years, they often talked about this congregation and the love they have here um, with this church and getting to meet some of their family members and friends and some of you that are on their support team, I just want to say thank you as well. And being a part of this weekend, Great Commission Festival, and last night hearing the various different ministry partners that you have around the world, some of them that are represented in this service, we're just thankful for the partnership of your church. Um, We really believe that God has called the church to send out workers for the harvest. And as agencies and partnering organizations, we have the privilege to walk that path with you. And so thank you for what you are doing. And I want to also say a thank you to Pastor Travis and Kelly and the leadership here for allowing me to share from God's word, being a part of a Bible translation organization i just thrilled when I was watching online to see how you walk through different books of the Bible together, and I just love seeing that, and uh, you're a blessed congregation, and you really are. Amen? Amen? So open up God's Word to maybe a very familiar passage for many of you, maybe a new passage for others of you to Acts chapter 1. We will get there, I promise you, so you can stay there. I might start elsewhere, but just keep your Bibles on Acts chapter 1 because I first want to see God's mission in the panoramic view of history. What is God doing at, what is He doing from the beginning of history until Christ comes again? You know, God is moving to throughout history to redeem and restore mankind to Himself. Amen? And God has chosen to invite us, which is very humbling, to invite his followers to live on mission with him. And I, I think about one of the, the very first commission, really, we should say. We often think about the great commissions, the, the five of them in the New Testament, but really the first great commission was to Abraham in the Old Testament. Let me read it. Genesis 12, 1-4, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And get this, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. First commission of God. God has always been about redeeming and restoring mankind to himself, and not just the nation of Israel, all peoples of the world, amen? And so that's what God's been about. I like the words of Paul in the New Testament when he refers back to this passage. In Galatians 3.8, he says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Did you get that? I always think about the gospel as being the New Testament story, but really the gospel, the good news that God is about redeeming and restoring mankind to himself began all the way back with Abraham, and he's been marching through history. We have a God that wants to have fellowship with mankind. He wants to redeem and restore mankind to himself. Well, we think about the nation of Israel. And I don't want to be too hard here, but there were glimpses of times in which they got it, glimpses of time in which Israel, and especially when you read in the Psalms, of the nations will glorify you. And it's written in many different ways throughout the Psalms as you read them. And there's glimpses and times in which different people, Gentiles outside of Israel, were given the message or were connected to the people of Israel. But by and large, unfortunately, Israel did not understand the mission they were really being a part of for the most part. And God gave them over to the judgment of other nations and ultimately, by the end of the Old Testament, we see them exiled. And God calling them, because unfortunately, they either rejected the foreign people around them and isolated themselves, or they integrated with them in their other gods and their worship and compromised in their faith. And so like the story of Jonah is a good example of of much of the history, unfortunately, of the nation of Israel is Jonah did not want the Assyrian people, the Ninevites, their enemies to see the compassion and the love of God and repent and come to him. And even though God had shown grace to Jonah, Jonah sat outside the city walls pouting because he knew that God would forgive them if they repented as they did. So then we come from the Old Testament. I want to jump into the New Testament with Jesus. And Jesus, God incarnate, living amongst us. And Jesus, Son of God, was a man of all peoples, amen? He was a Jew, and he began with the Jews, and he called the disciples who were Jewish. But he was a person for all people, for men and women. He welcomed children. He went to various different places amongst the Samaritans, which most Jews didn't. They would skirt around Samaria. He went right through it a number of different times. Across the the Sea of Galilee, amongst the Gentiles, amongst the the poor, the outcasts, the lame, the lepers, he touched them, he was amongst them, and he was also amongst the religious leaders of the day, and the Jewish people, and the scribes, and the Pharisees, he was a a savior for all people, amen? Amen? And thank God he was for all of us. So God's mission and his desire to include his followers in the mission is not a new thing from Old Testament to New Testament. God has always been a part of a mission to receive all people to himself. But he's also been a part of inviting all people to join him on mission in what he is doing so we're all called to live on mission with him and all called to be a part of the play that he's calling and so let me be very clear by the end of the message today I want you to know what your part is on the team and maybe you've been a Christian for many many years longer than I and many of you are faithful servants of the Lord for many years but I want to make certain you know what your part is And maybe you're a young Christian and you're just beginning to get engaged in the body of Christ here and you're looking for opportunities for service, but everybody here has a part to play in God's global mission. And so I want to make certain that you take away at least one or more opportunities and ways that you can engage God on mission to the nations of the world. Because living on mission requires first and foremost to pursue God passionately. And if we miss that thing, everything else that I say today can be wiped away. Because pursuing God passionately, worshiping Him, seeking Him in prayer, listening to the heartbeat of our missionary God is the most important thing that we do. I don't know about you, but I was blessed today in the worship. I don't know that last song, the name of it. I want to find out, but I was telling Kelly, I love that song. It really spoke to my heart. Being with God in redemption, what he has done for us, and we have the opportunity to participate in that. It begins in worship as we bow before him. I think of Isaiah in the Old Testament, here am I, send me, but that came out of a heart of worship as he acknowledged his sinful nature, he acknowledged who God was, and that God brought forgiveness in his life, and then he said, here I'm a servant to go and serve in your kingdom work, And, and that's so true. As we look at the New Testament, I want to read quickly through a a few couple passages. You don't need to jump there. I'll just read them quickly. Many of them are probably familiar to you. Matthew 28. I often neglect the first couple verses. I don't want to do that today. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, I want you to notice, what did they do? They worshiped him, but some doubted. I love the honesty of Matthew. Some doubted. They didn't recognize yet who he was, that he had risen from the dead. But they started with worship because they recognized he is the Messiah, just like he had told us to be. And the proof is in the pudding because he resurrected from the grave. And then he goes on to tell them that Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me based on the authority of Christ. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, And as it continues in the passage, you know, the commission is not based on you and I, on the strength or the weakness of who we are, but on the nature and the authority and character of Jesus Christ, amen? Based on his authority and that he is one to be honored and to be worshiped is why we go to make disciples amongst our neighborhoods and the nation's. Another passage I wanted to read also this morning comes from Acts chapter 13. And to be honest, you know, the the church in Jerusalem was kind of like the mother church. It's kind of where things begin. We'll come to that passage in Acts 1. But the Jerusalem church was a little bit slow to going out. They kind of stayed where they were, and God had to push them out through persecution. And then the peoples, not just the, the, the disciples, but the peoples were scattered through the marketplace, and they moved through persecution. And one of those churches was the church in Antioch. Antioch was a missionary, mobilized church, ascending church, like you are here at Trail Fellowship, sending people out. So Acts chapter 13, 1 to 3, it says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets of Cyrene, Menaean, oh, sorry, I skipped a verse. There were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Notice again. While they were worshiping the Lord, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which you have I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. See, they were in worship and fasting, and prayer, and God could use them because they were in tune with his heart, and they heard the heart of God for the other nations of the world, the other people groups that did not, had not received the gospel message yet. God commissions the church amidst the worship service. So are you ready to be commissioned today? We're in a worship service today, are we not? Are you ready I want you all to be able to step out of this worship service into your neighborhoods and into the nations, knowing that you have, been part, you have a part to play in God's mission. Because mobilized churches like you have a holy ambition to see the nations of the world worship Him. When I think about the 12 different people groups that the family has the potential of doing language development amongst, to translate God's Word as a team, and make disciples, and make a network of churches to grow, mature, and multiply in that part of the world, I think that the angels are rejoicing when God's name is worshipped amongst the nations of the world. I would add that we saw it last night at the banquet, somebody shared this often repeated statement from John Piper, mission exists because worship does not. Have you heard that before? Mission exists because worship does not. And so when all the peoples of the world and when the time comes when everybody is heard and when God in his appointed time comes back again, mission will stop and we'll just bow and worship to him all the peoples of the world, Revelation 7. But I would say this also. It's not only going to happen at the end. I think it's the front end of mission. Mission begins the process, or worship begins the process that leads to mission that ultimately will lead us to the throne of God. Because when we get the heartbeat of God and when we worship Him, either as a congregation or individually, privately. You cannot worship your God and read Scripture very long until you get the heart that God has for the nations of the world. One of my favorite passages, the last one I'm going to read today before we actually get to our text, is Revelation 7. Revelation 7, beginning in verse 9, you're probably familiar with it after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne before the lamb and they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God and who sits on the throne and to the lamb and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God and forever and ever and all the congregation said, Amen. You can do better than that. Amen. That is a day that I long for. I long to be able to Worship again with brothers and sisters in Christ that I was able to walk alongside and disciple in Southern Africa. Some that have already gone ahead of me on the other side of the veil to be with the Lord, to worship, to worship people that we've never met, that your missionary partners are serving with in various different parts of the world, where people from Asia and the Pacific Islands and Australia, and Europe, and all over, in Africa. What a, what a time it will be worshiping the Lord. Now, don't misunderstand me. Certainly, churches need solid missionary methods. I used to be a missions pastor, and I, I used to drill our team about what is our priority and focus, and what is our strategy. And we need to partner well with agencies, and we need to understand the, the complexities Of ministering with people in other cultures, unreached people groups and unengaged people groups. We need to understand those things. But if we do not know and love and worship our God of the nations, then going to meet the need will not be enough. That will not be enough. We go primarily, first and foremost, because of the greatness and authority of our God, not because of the need of the nations. We go because our God is great and He has commissioned us to go, and because His late, His love and grace is something that needs to be heard amongst the nations. So my question to us today is, is our passion for God strong enough to sustain us an enduring commitment to reach our neighbors and the nations of the world. You see, the passion for your neighbors and the passion to reach the nations really comes out of a heart for worship of our God, of who he is, and that he has called us to go. I heard of the the testimony of a missionary in Asia that said this. It was the burden for lost people that got me to the mission field But it was the passion and love for God that kept me on the mission field. And that's so true. And that's true for you and I. When we look at the need of the nations, it is great, but not alone the need. Let's look first to the heart of our God. As I said, I have the privilege to walk alongside the path of people training to go to the mission field with our org. And there's a lot of requirements because they're going to some of the most difficult and dangerous, complex situations where there's no low-hanging fruit, people of other worldviews And they need to be prepared linguistically, culturally, biblically. And we run through, most of them have to get a master's degree. And they have to be prepared. And they have to show us that they're able to do discipleship in this culture before they go to another culture. But I will tell you... The most important thing that I do as a training coach amongst our missionaries in training is spiritual formation, helping them to fall and continue to fall in love with God because when they go through the difficulties of mission life, the most important one that they have to hold on to is Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, our triune God. And they have their teammates, and they have their training, and they have fellow nationals, but they have to hold on to Jesus. So the most important thing is living on mission requires us to pursue God passionately. But I also want us to see that living on mission also requires us to see the broader kingdom of God. So now we finally got to the passage, Acts chapter 1. We're going to read it. And I want you to notice in the passage what's said about the kingdom of God. We're going to read the first 11 verses. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up in heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, He said to them, it's not for you to know the times of the days, dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and in the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up in the sky as he was going. I can imagine I would have been there doing that too. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So let me ask you this question when we think about the scope of the kingdom of heaven, the reign and rule of God. And, I, and I'm asking this question respectfully because I ask this question to myself first and foremost is, is your view of the kingdom limited to your context, your community, and your country, or is it a vision of the kingdom of God where God reigns and rules in the hearts and lives of his people who are also your neighbors and amongst the nations? And I ask that because I think that was one of the struggles that the the disciples were dealing with. You see the loaded question they asked Jesus. They said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's like they were saying to him, you know, we saw you died And we believe you're the Messiah because you resurrected and did what you said you did. And now are you going to establish the kingdom of David like we had before and allow Israel to be the ruling authority and power of this day? And will you fix this situation that we are living in? And I don't say that harshly. You know, um, when 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 I speak about the disciples, I, I would admit, I would have probably been one of them, wondering, what's going to happen next? We're ready for something new. We want a restoration of this nation. We want you to see, be seated on the throne here and remove this Roman empire and fix the situation that we're living in. I just It's hard for us to comprehend the situation back in the first century pre-Christian era. Death was a regular occurrence. I say this respectfully. I'm glad the children are not in here today. Death was a regular occurrence. Baby girls were often thrown out in the trash. It breaks my heart to think about They were under an oppressive government that they were forced to submit to. There was no orphanages. There was no government assistance. There was huge poverty amongst the people of Israel. There was child sacrifice. Women had few rights. Slavery. It was a dark and a brutal period of time that was lacking hope. And the disciples are wondering, are you going to fix this situation, Jesus? We know you got the power now to do it. And I sit there thinking about the last couple of years, wars and rumors of ro- wars that are happening around us, conflicts and crisis, death and disease, mistreated and oppressed people in our, our nation and around the world. We've seen, we've seen pain and sorrow. We've seen the suicide rate go up. We've seen loss and grief, sin and decay, brokenness and hurt. And we're in need of hope too, aren't we? And if I was honest with you, I would be one of the disciples asking Jesus, are you going to fix fix this situation? Is this the time when the kingdom is coming now, just like back in the periods of David? And what's his response? Jesus' response is very interesting. It's a matter of yes and no. Let me explain that one. Let's start with no. Yeah, you often ask, you want the good news or the bad news first? You didn't get a choice. You get the bad news. No. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His authority, He said. That's basically God's agenda. It's God's timeline. It was almost like Jesus was saying to His disciples, Do you trust me? I just raised from the dead. My Father's got everything in hand, everything's on His timeline. Everything's in control. And I I think about that in my own heart and say, you know, if God is eternal, sovereign, and control, and my short period of time on this earth and my little knowledge of understanding of things is so minute, comparative to our God, do I trust him? Even when the waves of life are breaking over me and I feel like I'm going under, do I trust him? It's like God is protecting us like a child, a parent does with a child. You know, Kelly said, we've got three uh, adult children, but when the kids are being raised and we are raising them in Africa, there's some unique challenges of raising your kids in Africa and the, and the dangers. And you can picture whatever you want, but um, sometimes, here are the same in America, sometimes you, you can't explain to young little children why they just have to, to obey even though they don't understand why, when you say something. And yet God is sometimes saying to us, you just trust me. Trust me amidst the the challenges and the overwhelming things that are happening in life, because I'm a good God, and I will bring this one day to completion. So that's, the second side is the good news. It says, it's been set by God. God's plan to redeem and restore mankind is on the move. His kingdom is being established in the hearts of people through the gospel being spread throughout all the nations of the world. And the second coming of Jesus has been set in place. We are not stuck in this world in a never-ending cycle of loss. There will be a day a good and beautiful day when Christ will come again and he will reign on high forever. But I'm also thankful that he's a patient God, not wanting anyone to perish, giving an opportunity that every people group of the world will have an opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ. And so it helps me in the times of discouragement and heartache to hold on. And I hope it helps you to hold on as well. God has not abandoned us. He is a beautiful God, beautiful and good God, and there will be a good and beautiful coming on one day. So we, who are living on mission, requires us to pursue God passionately. It also requires us to see the broader kingdom of God, of what he is doing around the world. That's why I love to hear the stories and read the newsletters of your partners and other partners that I know around the world because God's kingdom is advancing no matter what, even amidst the difficulties that I see in my own life or even in my own nation. The third thing that I want us to notice, if you're going to live on mission with God, just like he said to his disciples, you have to be empowered by his spirit, to be empowered by God's spirit. He said, but... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Amen? Can I get an amen in that one? Amen. Amen. Thank goodness it's not dependent on my own strength and energy because I wouldn't make it. Yeah, more on that in a minute. But you will receive power. When does that happen? Best can be stated at conversion. When you say yes to Jesus, God has promised the power of the Holy Spirit in your life If you said yes to Jesus, if you have put your faith in Jesus, repented of him, and you've chosen to allow him to be your Savior and Lord, and you've been baptized in the waters, God's Spirit is living within us. You cannot be a child of God and his Spirit not living within you. And that brings a lot of hope to me. He has not abandoned you. He has sealed with you in you the promise of the Holy Spirit. You're a child of God. You are sealed. You are his. And he's empowering you through the, the Holy Spirit to live out the life every day. And I want to encourage you, if you are exploring the idea of saying yes to Jesus and putting your faith in him as your Savior and Lord, I want to encourage you, don't think that you have to get everything right in life before you come to him, because you can't. It's just the opposite. Come to him humbled, surrendered, and submitted, and say, I need you by your grace and by your Holy Spirit to transform and change me. That's why at Pioneer Bible, we say that our, our mission is transform lives Through God's word in every language. It's not by the missionaries that transform lives. It's by God's word, by his Holy Spirit that is transforming and making us into his likeness. And so that's taking place. I know when I came and said yes to Jesus in 1976 as a young boy, my, my father was a pastor. I'd heard the gospel message many times, and I came to my parents. I remember one Sunday afternoon said, I want to follow Jesus. And my parents, you know, they were excited, but they wanted to make certain I had a clear understanding of the decision I was making. And, and I remember that night going to the waters of baptism and, and, and putting my faith in Christ and in all of that, I, I truly believe as a young boy that I understood my need for Jesus as a Savior and to make Him my King. But I didn't understand real well that I, it's not just the fact that I was saved by grace, but I'm called to live by grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And it's so easy to fall back to that old way of life thinking I have to do and do and do. But it's not what I do. It's what God has done and what he will do through his spirit to change me into his likeness and walk in that path with Christ. And I understand that. I'm a type A personality person. I want to get things done, got my list, everything to accomplish. And some of you are probably type AAA personalities. Don't hold on to your drivenness. Please surrender and submit to Jesus. You cannot do it on your own. You need Him and you need His power and Holy Spirit to do that. The disciples needed to hear that. He said, Wait, don't go out until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So when He left and ascended into heaven about 10 days later, we see the Holy Spirit come down. And then they went out as transformed lives and made a difference in the world. And so at conversion, what things happen? There's so many things that we could talk about, you know, that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. But let me just mention two things. Internally, God changes us to bear the fruit of His Spirit in our life. Amen? You know, as a young boy, I, I, I'm an introvert. But one of the things that I really had to work on for a long time and submit to the Spirit was an anger in me, an anger within me. I wouldn't express it verbally, but it was an anger within me. And God took a hold of me through the power of the Spirit and, and released that as I humbled to Him and Remove that anger and, and built within me patience and love and forgiveness through the power of the Spirit to change those inner things with me. So God changes us. I, I don't know how that all happens and takes place. We talk about that in spiritual formation with the people that we, we coach, but it's God uses the action of the Holy Spirit. This is the way I describe it through our spiritual disciplines and practices like worship and study of the Bible and prayer and those things, in our ordinary circumstances of life and often through the difficulties of life, in community with other believers to transform us into the likeness of Christ. So there is certainly the major part of that work is through the power of the Holy Spirit, God at work in my life. But I also have to respond to him and surrender to him. And allow his spirit to change me. And then there's that outward working of the spirit. Not only the inward working of the spirit, there's the outward working of the spirit. That God gifts us. And through spiritual gifts, we all have different gifts for the, the sake of the body of Christ. Paul talks a lot about that. For his kingdom service, for his glory. To build up the body of Christ. To show love to the nations and the communities around us. And so we use our spiritual gifts for his his mission and kingdom work, and the, and the Holy Spirit changes people, people that are timid to become bold, people, people that were stubborn to become obedient, people that were prideful to be humble. And He changes us on the inside, gives us victory over our selfish desires, and He, and he gives us victory over our worldly appetites. And so we got the Holy Spirit working, and he says to the disciples, and he says to you and I, you cannot do this on your own. You cannot live mission on your own. You need my power through the Spirit in all you do. And then you see, you read through the book of Acts. Last year, I was reading through the book of Acts. I I do an online English conversation course. And the last two years, I've been spending time online with a college student from Seoul, Korea. And every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Central Time, over in in the central part of the country, and he's 10 o'clock at night in Seoul, Korea, the same day. He's already finished the day. But you know college students, they love to stay up late at night. For the last two years, we've been studying the Bible, walking through the book of Luke, chapter by chapter, and then through the book of Acts. And it's been so encouraging to me because I've, I've seen such a transformation in his life As we've been studying God's word and and submitting and surrendering, being obedient to the things that we study in Scripture. It's been so encouraging to me because he's new in the faith and and some of the the truths of God's word is bubbled up and he's like, get so excited about so many things. And he comes in, and, and I'm like, why don't I get excited about that anymore when I read scripture? But here's one of those things. The teaching of the Holy Spirit as you study through the Word of God is so important for us to live out the daily life in the kingdom of God as we worship His name. Well, one last thing I want to mention here today. If we're going to live on mission with God, we, we don't only need to pursue Him passionately and see the bigger kingdom of God and be empowered by the Holy Spirit, but we need to be His witnesses both here and there. Okay, now I'm I'm gonna prompt you. This is the time where you gotta be thinking, what's my next step from this service when you walk out the door today? And I'm gonna try to help you get there. Okay. What did he say to his disciples in Acts chapter one? He said, And you will be my witnesses. That's an imperative witness. You will be my witnesses. That's a command that means to testify to what you have seen. So through the powering of the Holy Spirit, God was equipping his disciples to go out and testify to what they had seen. What had they seen? Well, number one, they had seen and could testify to the life of Jesus. His perfect life. He was without sin. He was the son of God. He was the Messiah who he claimed to be. They could testify to his miracles. They could testify to his message. They could testify that he lived out and fulfilled the Old Testament purpose of the law. He could testify to the principles that he taught in the kingdom of God. He lived it out every day as he interacted with difficult people and people that were often disregarded or discarded in that community. He loved everyone. They could testify to who Jesus was. And that's why every year I like to read one of the gospels and remind myself, how did Jesus live out life? What can I testify about how Jesus lived? And how is he calling me into obedience to live out the kingdom of God principles in my daily life? But we can also testify to the death of Jesus. We can testify that he absorbs all of God's wrath at the cross of Calvary. Can I get an amen? Amen. The cross is about justice, the justice of God being fulfilled, but also the grace and the love of God both being complete through the death of His Son Jesus. The perfect sacrifice and God's love brought together that paid the price for our sins, and the love of God brought together through the death of Christ. It's a sacrifice for our sins, for the sins of the past, the present, and the future. And when God looks at you and I, He doesn't see our past or our present sins. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Amen? And I'm so thankful for that. There are so many more things we could talk about the cross of Christ written in Scripture and that you study together here in the, in the church. But we testify to the death of Christ. So we testify to the life of Christ, the death of Christ. And we testify to the resurrection of Christ. And that's our guarantee. It's the proof is in the pudding. That he was who he said he was. That the hope that he said we would have beyond the grave is true. He rose from the dead, and we will too, and there is life after the grave. So we testify to the resurrection of Jesus. I also think that we testify how God in Christ, through the power of the Spirit, has changed each and every one of us. Not just talking about the stories of Jesus and, and the early disciples and, and, and some of the pioneers of the, of the faith in church history, but... Being able to tell your story, how God is transforming you in your life is one of the ways that you testify to the people around you. And that is so, so important that we do that because you are sometimes the first message and picture of the gospel that your friends and your family members and your coworkers will see and hear in your life. And we also testify to what Abraham said, how God in Christ through the power of spirit is changing us, but also to the global nature of the gospel. that The, the gospel is, message is just not for me and mine, but the gospel message is for all the peoples of the world, and we need to continue to proclaim it until they've all heard about Jesus. And I I don't want to overlook this opportunity, but if you have never said yes to Jesus, at the end of our service here in just a little bit, as we sing a song of, of praise to God and surrender to Him, if you want to talk to one of the pastors or one of the people in this church, I want to invite you to come and hear about who Jesus is, His death, burial, resurrection, how He changes life, you don't have to change yourself. Through the power of the Spirit, He can change you. All you have to do is surrender and submit to Him. I, I want to give that opportunity, and I don't want to overlook that if you come here today. But I also want to speak to those that have been walking the Christian life for many years, or maybe just this year is your first year, about some next steps for you. Because here is what and where Jesus instructs His disciples to do before leaving earth He says to them, Pursue me daily compassionately, depend on the Spirit, be my witnesses, and then he says, go here and there. Here and there, okay? Let's talk about that briefly in the rest of the message. He says, where? I want you to notice, I want you to notice that he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What's the common word in that whole sentence? Did you hear it? And. Three times he uses the word and. I didn't catch that for the longest time. It wasn't or, this place or that place. or And it wasn't then, like, do it here and then you can do it there. It was God wants the message to go and all these places. He's working. His kingdom is growing. He's at work before we ever show up on the scene. Amen? So how can we apply Jesus' instructions in the 21st century? I want to give you a few practical illustrations. I know some of these things are things your church is already doing, but for some of you it might be some new ideas or concepts of how you can live on mission with God. He says, first beginning in Jerusalem. Where's that? Where was Jerusalem for them? It was, it was home. It was really where they were right then. Now, now, admittedly, most of the, the 12 disciples weren't actually from Jerusalem. They were from the area around the Sea of Galilee. But they'd all been there they, on the day of Pentecost. They were in Jerusalem right where you are. Start right where you are to testify, to be a witness, to make disciples to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to advance God's kingdom work right where you are. That's not just for your missionary partners that are going to the nations. It's for you and I who are amongst our neighborhoods. It's for all of us in all that we have opportunity to do. That was a very strategic place also in Jerusalem, but it wasn't an easy place because that's where Jesus had been crucified. That's where... Acts chapter 7, where Stephen, the first martyr, was killed. That wasn't an easy task to testify in Jerusalem. And sometimes talking to family members, talking to people we work with, talking to our neighbors are not the easiest people to talk to. And sometimes we have to risk something when we do it. But God says to all of us, begin in your Jerusalem right where you are. You might say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a leader. God's called all of us to do something to testify. You can testify to what God's doing in your life. You don't have to be a scholar a theologian to have all the right words. It's most, sometimes it's better you don't have all the right words. Just begin where you are and tell that story to your neighbors. I, I've been thinking about me and my wife two years ago moved to a, a different place. We are kind of downsizing now that the kids are out of the house. And, man, oh. Our first and primary prayer was, we want to get to know our neighbors. I I can just bink, 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 bink. I can tell you stories about all the neighbors that are around uh, where we live in the patio homes around me and trying to get to know them and be honest and real and authentic about life, but also to help them recognize, not importantly, that I'm a Jesus follower, but Jesus has changed my life. That's the most important thing. Then he says, Judea. Similarly, cultural People, the Jewish people, uh, the greater province and region right there, but not people that they necessarily rub shoulders with every day. Who are those people that maybe are not your neighbors or your co workers that you're with every day or your family members, but you rub shoulders? It might be at the grocery store, it might be at the gym, it might be at the airport. It might be when you go to the county fair. It might be in, uh, when you go on vacation or when you're traveling. Those are the Judean people, people that are culturally like you from this area of the country, but people that you don't always rub shoulders with and be praying that God would open the door and opportunity to testify um, to people around you. I told you I'm an introvert and I will confess I had to repent to God. Uh, a couple of years ago. When I would get on the airplanes like tomorrow to fly back home, I would say, God, let me get three seats by myself. (laughs) Just give me three seats. Don't let it be sold out. You know, I just wanted my space, my time to myself. Uh, And I thought, you know, that's not good. There are people that I might intersect in life. And since I started praying for God, would you provide an opportunity to intersect with somebody that I'm sitting next with or across the aisle? I've been amazed over the last couple of years people that I've met. Believers and non-believers and people going through various challenges of life and, and people that I could point to other churches and, and places and talk about the gospel and, and even and witness what God's doing around the world. So Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Now those There was, those were people that rubbed the Jewish people wrong. There was antagonism. There was animosity between them. The the Samaritans were Jewish people that intermarried with the people when they'd uh, been in the land. And so there was a lot of conflict. The Jewish people didn't even want to walk through Samaria in that province, in that region. So I have to ask the question, who are the people of other races and cultures in our community, maybe refugees or international students or, or, or people of other social economic differences than us that we often don't want to cross paths with, but like Jesus, he's prompting by the Holy Spirit to say, why don't you go out of your way to connect with that person, to rub shoulders with that person, to meet that need in your community, Maybe it's international students. Where where I live, Wichita State University, there's been a huge population of international students. I used to serve and do English conversation there as well, and and for years we had 600 Saudi students at our one university, and I loved it because we do English conversation. They had to get to a certain level of English conversation. And you know, I didn't have to say anything about Jesus, but when we would would gather together and we we, we would talk through English and we would take them out into our community and show them places in our community, talk about our culture and everything, nine out of 10 times the question would come up. One of them would ask because they had a free space in our culture to ask. So are you a, a Christian and what does that mean? I remember one day in a conversation One of a Japanese students and two Saudi students were having coffee together outside and, and the Japanese student asked the Saudi students, What's what's the God you guys follow? What's that all about? What do you do on Fridays in prayer? What's that about? You know, and then then the two Saudi guys asked this guy, What is this thing you follow, Buddhism? Shintoism. What's that about? Why the temples that you have? What, what's there? And I'm like, well, this is a really interesting play. And then all of a sudden they looked at me and goes, well, we assume you're a Christian. What does that mean? And, and, and the word Christian is a loaded word. And I, I said, I, I tend to say, I, I like to fo- I'm a follower of Jesus. Let me tell you what that means. Didn't have to be pushy. That's not what it was about. Just an opportunity to testify to what Jesus is doing in our lives. But before we wrap it up, we cannot overlook here on Great Commission Festival weekend and to the ends of the earth where the gospel is going out to unreached people who have no access to to witness and, and to testify of who Jesus is. You know, some of the most spiritually impoverished people in our world are the people that, don't have access to God's word, and don't have a disciple movement or a church in the area to hear anything about Jesus. They might live, they might be born, live, and die and never hear the name of Jesus. I hear that from a lot of our Asian workers where they ask people, do you know Jesus? And the response often is, no, what's a Jesus? Where do you get that? They've never even heard the name of Jesus. To the ends of the earth. God has called us there as well. Now, let's be clear. Not, God has not called everybody to go. In the church in Antioch chapter 13, not everybody was sent. Paul and Barnabas and a team of people were sent to go. But there were others that, of the church that sent them through the power of the Holy Spirit. They were sent. And there were those that were gifted equipped to go, and there were those that sent, okay? So there are different roles. I used to say, everybody either is a goer or a sender. I recently changed that language and said, everybody's a goer and a sender, but not everybody goes to cross culturally, but all of us are called to go to our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and we're also called to send people to the ends of the earth. And you're doing that so well. And there are so many different ways that you can do this. Some of, we talked last night, some of it was mentioned perspectives. If you're not taking perspectives, I would encourage you to take it. I'm actually one of the coordinators for perspectives in Wichita. We have perspectives on Sunday night, and then we have perspectives on Wednesday night across town in our city. And I've just seen mobilization of people to go and the churches that want to send those that have been called to go. And Perspective talks about different ways that you can get involved. You can welcome people, internationals, refugees, people in your community. You can can pray, and prayer is not the least that I can do. It's the most that I can do, amen, because through the power of God, through your prayers. And there's a great resource uh, that somebody shared. Eric shared this with me from the mission team. There's a great resource. Grab a copy of this in the next couple of weeks all your missionary partners, all your local partners, your staff, your leaders, please, would you be praying for them? Pray for them, maybe just one a week or adopt one to pray for. Get it on their newsletter, find out what the prayers are. All of us can do that. It's the most important thing we can do. We can welcome, we can pray, we can give. In generosity to give, your church gives and many of you are are givers on the support team of various missionaries that are going out, and your investment is making an eternal difference. Far outweighs anything you will get in this world and give. Some of you are called to go. Some of those students that left earlier, some of those kids that are in your children's ministry are some of the Vickies, that need to be sent out from this church and need to go. And your families and your church need to send them. Some of them need to go and you need to be sending church and mobilizing them in a powerful way. So go, send, and then mobilize future workers until the task is completed. So living on mission requires us to pursue God passionately, to see the broadness of the kingdom of God, to be empowered by his spirit, and to be his witnesses both here and there. So my part's done. Now it's your part. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here just now. But I want to ask you to think about what is your next step. We've talked about a lot of different things. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to say yes, I want to invite you to come forward or see one of the pastors or maybe who you came with here to church and ask about following Jesus. But if you are a young believer or a very mature old believer, been walking in Christ a long time, I want to make certain when you walk out those doors, you know at least one way that you can be on mission with God. Some of you have been doing the same thing. Maybe you need to try a new thing and step up into a new area of helping to be on mission with God. I don't know what that is. I trust God knows your heart and how you're serving on mission with Him. God, it's pretty silent right now. And for some of us right now, it might seem awkward. And for some of us, we're still listening, what's our next step? But I believe there is a congregation here, a mobilized congregation that's saying, where you go, I will go. It might be across the street to my neighbor, to my coworker, to my work partner in the gym. It might be to internationals and refugees to welcome them. It might be to be a prayer warrior every day. It might be to raise up my children in my home, to equip them to become kingdom workers both here and abroad. I don't know what you're calling each of us to do, but we're saying here we are Send us to the nations, Father. Thank you for being a missionary God who loved us enough that you've been about restoring and redeeming mankind to yourself from the very beginning until you come again where all the nations have an opportunity to respond to your gospel message. Father, I thank you for this church, for Trail Fellowship, and what you've been doing for decades through this church and what you will continue to do for the decades in front of them as a mobilized church to be obedient to your mission. We love you, Father. You are the only one worthy of praise. Amen.